Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. So glad you're you glad you're at church today? Amen. We can get a little excited to be in a church. That's all right. Well, I'm glad you're here. Hope you had a great week and a great weekend. We uh, heard from Danny already, but I want to say it one more time. Welcome to all the VIPs in the room and online. One more time, make some noise for the VIPs, first-time guests. So thankful you decided to worship with us. I pray you're blessed by being with us today. And again, one more time, welcoming the BT Online family. Make some noise for BT Online. Glad to have you all tuned in. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the privilege of serving as senior pastor here at BT Church, and I have the honor of taking us into God's Word today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, physical or digital, why don't you meet me in the book of James in the New Testament? James chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. Uh, we believe in a culture of celebration at BT. We believe that celebration is a discipline, and like any discipline, if you don't do it, you get bad at it. So we don't want to be bad at celebrating what God is doing. And so listen to a few things that are worth celebrating today. So far this year, over 260 people have experienced life in Jesus, calling upon his name for salvation. Uh, and we think that's a big deal. Make some noise for all those people going from death to life today. We also celebrate the spiritual decision of believers' baptism when someone gives their life to Jesus and then goes public with that decision by choosing to be baptized. And we've had 160 people make that decision this year, uh, entering the baptistries of our campuses. And so we celebrate that. We have some planned today in this service. We have some baptisms at our Sherry Lane campus today. And then this is really exciting. Today, we have our very first baptism at our brand new Kingsville campus happening. Yeah. And so we're excited for what God is doing, what God has done, and what we believe God has yet to do as he moves uh, through our campuses and brings revival to South Texas. So if you've missed a few weeks, we're in the third week of a series called Operation. And what we're doing is we're talking about the spiritual body and parts of the spiritual body that, that sometimes we need to tune up and check on. Sometimes there's parts of the spiritual body that God has to do a complete surgery and a reworking, and uh, we, we believe that these parts of the body are critical to spiritual health and maturity. Uh, we opened up two weeks ago with a sermon talking about the heart, and let me say this, if you've missed one of the past two weeks, you can catch up by checking out a sermon online. The easiest way to do that, go to YouTube, search for BT Church, and subscribe to that channel. You'll be alerted when we have new content, but you can also find past sermons on our website, our app, and even on the Facebook feed there. So we opened up with the heart and we looked at Proverbs chapter 4 where we read that we are called to guard our heart above all else, right? There's a lot of other parts of the spiritual body. There's a lot of important parts to spiritual health and spiritual growth, but above all of those we need to start by guarding our heart. Why? Because it is the source of life. If we don't guard our hearts, then our lives have no hopes, right? And so we talked about the heart, and then last week we talked about the mind. When the heart gets right, the mind should follow. And it has to go in that order, because sometimes people try to do religion without relationship. That's mind without heart, and it, it becomes a weight instead of a freedom. And so we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we learned that when the heart is guarded, the next step is not to conform to the patterns of society, but to be transformed by the continual renewing, not the one time, but the continual renewing of our mind by setting our mind on things above and taking every thought captive. And those two parts are critical. They go hand in hand, the heart 
and the mind. Beginning today and for the two weeks that follow, we're going to start talking about what could be argued to be more practical parts of the body. Heart and mind, extremely important, right? But they're kind of up there in content. And so we're going to start moving into some more practical discussions about the spiritual parts of the body. And today in James chapter 3, we're really talking about it. It's, it's really overlooked and it's really, it, it, it almost didn't make the cut for, for topics because it's so not necessary to address um, the mouth. Ah. Talking about the tongue, our words. You know, the reality is we use a lot of words, right? You're thinking, you sure do. Hey, watch it, all right? I did some reading, and what I found out is that the average human being spends one-fifth of their life talking. One-fifth of their life talking. Same article, I read that the average male speaks 20,000 words a day. Luckily, I'm not average, and it's Sunday, so we're going to keep on going. No, um, 20,000. Now, listen, listen. I read the article. I did not write the article. I also read that the average female speaks 30,000 words a day. Sometimes with gusts up to 50, but... Um, Same article said that in a given year, the average person will speak so many words that if they were transcribed, it would fill 66 books of 800 pages each. We talk a lot. <laughs> but what's happening when we speak? Are we building or tearing down, right? I mean, now listen, we know that some people, they've got what we call the gift of gab. Now, that sounds kind of negative. Some people have a natural ability to communicate. They can get their point across well. They can get in trouble and out of trouble relatively easily. I remember a story about a young man who got hired at a local grocery store, and uh, he was working the, the night shift. He, he worked after the store closed and restocked the shelves, but, but he would show up before closing time to kind of get started. And so one night, he's working, and this elderly woman came up to him and said, Son, I, I don't know if you can help me with this, but I would like to buy a half a head of lettuce. He said, well, you know, ma'am, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can help you with that, but let me see what I can find out. And so he walks to the end of the aisle, and the night manager was there, and he walks up to the night manager and says to her, he says, ma'am, um, this is a weird request, I know, but there's this crazy old lady here, and she wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. At that point in time, he feels that someone's behind him, right? And so he looks, and she had followed him to speak to the manager. And he looks over his shoulder and he says, but the good news, ma'am, is that this fine lady wants to buy the other half. So we're all right. In and out of trouble, right? Our mouths, our tongues, our words, the reality is they contain great power. And the truth is what we're going to talk about today, the passage we'll look at, really a lot of us that have been in church for a while, we're real familiar with it. The concerning part about the subject today, and I speak to myself here, is that as familiar as I am, I'm still so bad. <laughs> it's a passage that many times we want to explain away. But the truth is that in our spiritual lives, we need an operation of the mouth. We need to learn to control and to tame our tongue and to be mindful of what is coming out. Our words are a big part of our witness. 
Listen, we can show up to church every Sunday, put money in the offering baskets. We can raise our hands when we sing those songs. But if we leave and we're tearing each other down, if we leave and we're spewing venom all the time, then this small part of the body contains such potential and such power. You think of the marching band, right? In the brass section, you've got the giant tuba, right? Tuba makes this deep sound that's very distinct. But the reality with the tuba, if you take that little mouthpiece, right? It's a removable brass mouthpiece. If you move that mouthpiece off, that giant instrument is actually useless. Our mouthpiece might be small. But hear me, if all the good things we do with our lives don't match the words out of our mouth, then, then really that witness becomes useless. So how do we live our lives and pursue spiritual health and spiritual growth with our words? Three truths today, or three points I want to make out of the text. And so let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to look at the uh, first four verses of James chapter 3. It says this in verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, also able to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. First thing I want you to write down when it comes to spiritual health in our mouths is the word direction. Direction. There is a direction of our words, and that is tied to the direction of our lives. James uses this illustration. He starts off saying, hey, you shouldn't, really, you shouldn't long to want to be a teacher because there's a, a judgment that comes with that. He says, we stumble in many ways. If you don't stumble with your words, you're mature, right? If you don't stumble on what you say, you're mature. And then he gives these two illustrations. He says, think about a horse, thousand-pound animal. You get an eight-inch piece of steel called a bit, and you put it in its mouth, and you tell the horse where to go. He says, think about ships, these giant vessels. No matter if it's a, a small ski boat or a giant cruise ship, they're all directed by a rudder. And the size of the rudder compared to the size of the vessel, the rudder is relatively small. Well, the, the mouth in relation to the human body is relatively small, but it speaks to the direction about which we go. We've got to understand that there is a direction that our lives get set on based on the use of our tongues. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He's speaking about what defiles someone. And he says, listen, because there were dietary laws at that point in time that kind of cultural and what you ate could make you defile. He says, listen, what you eat doesn't defile you. He says, what, this is kind of graphic. He says, what you eat comes out. That's basic anatomy, by the way. What you eat comes out, right? He says what you eat is going to come out of you, but what comes out of your mouth is what's already in you. He says the mouth speaks what's in the heart, and that's what's defiled. And there's a direction that gets set based on the way we choose to use our words. And don't miss this. You might want to write this down. Beloved, our words leave a trail behind us, and they create a path before us. The way we speak will leave a trail behind us and set a path before us. And let it not be that that trail behind us is filled with bodies and broken relationships. Because if that's the case, that's probably what's in front of us. 
Our words carry power, and they can be an indication of our destination. Beloved, change your words, change your destination. If you don't believe that's true, listen, June 1st, 2002, I said two words that have changed my life for the past 20 years. I do. Changed my life for the better. (laughs) The past 20 years, I've heard two words four times that have changed my life forever. I'm pregnant. For the better. better. (laughs) Two words, you're fired. Two words, cancer-free. Two words, it's cancer. One word, no, in the face of temptation. Words can set the trajectory and direction of our lives. Beloved, don't miss this. Change your words, change the direction. If we would practice, and, and, and you know, by the way, how we change our words, we set our mind on things above because we're guarding our heart. It's all connected. If you're guarding your heart and being renewed by the, you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind, then watching your words as, as tedious as it can be, it starts to become common practice. There is a direction that our lives are set on and the words we choose to use are part of that. Listen, you know how people know if you're a negative person? It's not because like you give off negative energy. It's not because if you get like a magnet, I don't even remember, I'm going to get out of my depth now. You know, the, it's not polarity, let me leave it at that. People know if you're a negative person because you tend to speak what? Negatively. People know you're a positive person because you tend to speak positively. There's a direction that flows from the words that we use. And let me just say this many times, many times, our words will reveal how, how mature we are in our faith. They'll reveal how much time we're spending with the Lord. Beloved, the question is, what direction are your words showing others? Direction. Let's pick up in verse 5. Verse 5 says this. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how small a fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. Verse 8, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It's a feel-good passage, isn't it? I mean, that's just like. Second word I want you to write down is the word destruction. Because if we're not mindful of the direction of our words, then they they will result in being destructive words. Destruction is a possibility and a reality with our words. The mouth simply put, possesses the power to destroy. James would liken it to a fire, right? Though a fire, many times we hear of these, these fires in other states, and even we had some in our own state in the Glen Rose area, and many times these forest fires, these fires that burn acres of land, they are started in a, with a small spark. And what's interesting, listen, let me just kind of set the stage because there may be some people that have more knowledge than me, and I want to confess I don't have it. Uh, I'm not a firefighter. I'm not a fire investigator. I'm not a fire marshal. Uh, I was a firefighter in second grade for Halloween. That's what I got on the resume, all right? <laughs> I've seen some movies. I, that's, that's what I got. But some of you are aware that a few weeks ago, the worship center at our Kingsville campus caught on fire. 
And it's been a learning experience for me because, again, by God's grace, fire or structure fire has not been something that my family has had to deal with. And so when I went to Kingsville to, to kind of see how bad it was, I was, I was amazed because what the, the fire marshal told us is that based on their ability to you know, investigate the scene, the fire started in a particular part of the broom on the platform or stage area. I won't bore you with all the details, but it started in a specific area and then it began to burn. Now, you may not have heard this, but God's sovereignty in the situation is that the, the fire chief for Kingsville was at the school next door to the church and he saw the smoke and dispatched firefighters before the 911 call went in. So the fire was extinguished quickly. And so what happened is the, the fire started and it, it, it burned quickly. And if you looked in the building, you could see the mark of smoke going up the wall where the fire was contained because it was extinguished quickly. The fire did not touch the entire building. That's what I'm getting at. The flames themselves, right? The tongues of flame, the, the flames themselves did not touch every part of the building. But what was interesting is that every part of that building is damaged, the back of the room is damaged. There's a, there was a projector in this room hanging from the ceiling in the back of the room, giant metal projector. No flame touched it, but it was melted into a metal ball. And this is what we know to be true, right? Fire, what it touches, it destroys, but it produces smoke, and smoke damages things as well, and people die of smoke inhalation, right? And what surprised me in this scenario, it's not that I didn't know it, I just hadn't experienced it, is that what damaged the entire room was not the fire itself, but the heat it produced. The temperature got so high because of the fire that even though the flames didn't touch every pew and every wall, the entire room experienced damage because the heat got so high. Where are you going with this, Chris? Hear me, hear me. If, you're, if you are married, husbands, and you have children, you may speak to your wife in a certain way, and that flame may create damage in her life, but the way your son is taught to speak to women will be the heat that will change a family tree. <laughs> Wives, same way. Students, same way, the ways that you choose to speak about the person who is not in your friend group. It is, hear, hear me, fire, the damage is never localized to what the flames touch, but how far the heat can get and heat travels quick. And destruction is what follows. If you're a parent, you're setting an example. If you are a believer in a workplace, you're setting an example. If you're a believing student at school, you're setting an example. And what is the example that is being set? James would write that animals have been tamed, right? He says that all the animals have been tamed. He, he speaks to fish being tamed. Now, I'm not a firefighter. I'm also not a fisherman, all right? So those two, if you, if you need help with either of those, I'm probably not your guy. Didn't grow up, you know, fishing a whole lot. I have a son that has decided he likes fishing. How does that even happen, right? Never even been fishing. He's like, I like to fish. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we're trying to encourage that. Bottom of fishing rod and all the tackle and bait. I don't even know how to set this thing up. Um, and, you know, and, and so we're going to go to, uh, you know, one of the local areas. Like, you know, if you're here in the room, town, town lake, right, Fireman's Park. We're, we're going to do that. But, but he has fished. And so what I tell my son, though, I say, I'm not convinced yet that you like fishing. What you do like is catching. 
because the two times he's been fishing, we went on a private charter at the island, and we had the guy that knows where the fish are and has the bait and all the gear, and he sets it all up for you, and he puts the fishing pole in your hand, and you go, and then you just reel things in. Like, you reel, that's, that's all you do, right? I kind of like catching fish. It's, it's not bad. I have been fishing in my life where you do this, and eight hours later, you leave. And I, that's not my favorite use of eight hours, personally. But what's amazing, and I don't know anything about fishing, but this is what I know. You can buy the, the fishing line and, and the tensile strength, right? the strength of that line, and you can get the, the right rod and the right reel and all the right bait, and you can catch enormous fish. When, when we, we, one, of the time, one of those two times we went fishing, I naturally caught the largest fish of the group. Not a fish story. I got pictures to prove it. But you know what's amazing is it didn't matter if, if a, you know, the, the, the less experienced anglers caught small fish, but I was bringing in the, the monsters. Um, and so anglers, which you call fishermen, but anyways, and so you're thinking geometry. So what's amazing is that the small fish that day and the big fish were caught with the same size hook. You, you just got to get the hook set in the mouth. And many times we don't realize the hook that Satan has in our hearts, but everyone else is aware of it because our mouths make it clear. And destruction just flows out of us. And it shouldn't be this way. Careless words. You know how the mouth speaks destruction? Careless words. Careless words. Just not thinking through it. And it's 2022, by the way. The words you type count. You know, I have long said that social media is neutral, and I believe that to be true. I don't think it's good or bad. But I am convinced that some people just aren't ready to handle it. Like, it just brings out the worst. It just can't resist the temptation to fire off the tweet or the post or the comment that's just not necessary. And so careless words, just not necessary. Don't raise your hand, but some of us, we've been victim to hit-and-run mouth, Right? You know, like you hear about people that get hit and run, they get, they get you know, someone hits their car and they're parked in their street and doesn't leave a note. There are some, some of us, we run our mouths so much, we're just knocking people over with destructive words. We don't even know what's happening. And so careless words, angry and hostile words, right? How we respond in the moment and, and losing the ability to control that which is coming out. Carnal words, we don't use that word a lot, it's not cool. Carnal words of the world. We don't have to tell every joke we saw online. We don't have to speak the way that everyone else speaks. We don't have to text the way that everyone else texts. You're like, oh, here you go being a legalist. No, I'm just, I'm just salt and light, guys. We, we are either building up or we are tearing down with this. That's how it works. And destruction, if we, if we aren't careful with the direction that is set, then destruction will happen, and check this out, you realize you can break all the Ten Commandments with your words? You, you, you can speak murderous statements and lustful statements and defame God's name and covet. You, you just go on. We, we can break the commandments just with our words, destruction. And, and, and honestly, verses 5 through 8, they're not very encouraging, right? Because verse 8 says, no one can control the tongue. Like, great, thanks, James. Appreciate your help. It's a fire. It's poison. 
and no one can control it. And, and it sounds disheartening, but this is what James is saying. It's a true statement. No one can control the tongue. That's why we need Jesus. No one in our own power, but by the power of the Spirit, we gain the ability through power. Sometimes we get scared of that word. Jesus said that the disciples would receive power when the Spirit comes upon them. And too many believers are forfeiting the use of their mouth for construction, and they're settling for destruction because they feel like they can't control it. And that's right, without Jesus, you can't. But by the power of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you, you can change the way you talk and change the direction that you're living just like that it doesn't have to be destruction but it's not easy and it's not a one-time fix there's a story of a guy having a hard time controlling his tongue he's just always saying things he shouldn't say and he read the book of James and saw verse 8 and he's like no one can control the tongue and so the only thing he, he was serious about wanting to control it so the only thing that he thought to do is he heard about a monastery in town that there was no speaking allowed and so he said I, that's why I'm going to join a monastery and so he goes and he speaks to the administration of the monastery and they say, listen, you got to understand this, that once you come, once you come into this group for three years, you cannot speak. At the end of three years, you are given two words. He says, I got to do it. There's too much, too much harm's happened with my words. And so he agrees. He goes three years, doesn't say a word. They bring him up to the leader of the monastery. Three years later, hey, two words, what do you got? He says, bed hard. All right. He stays for three more years, six years. They bring him back to the leader of the monastery. He said, okay, what are your two words after your second three years? He said, food cold. <laughs> Sticks around three, nine years. They bring him back to the leader of the monastery. He said, what are your, what are your two words? He says, I quit. <laughs> and the leader of the monastery says, well, I'm not surprised. All you've done is complain since you've been here. Listen, controlling the tongue is tough, but you don't have to only speak two words every three years to see it become a reality. You've got to live your life surrendered to the kingship of Jesus. So, so direction, our mouths and words will set a direction. Destruction based on that direction could be what follows, but ultimately it's all based on a decision. Your direction will determine whether or not destruction is what follows, but all of that is based on a decision. Look at verse 9 of James chapter 3. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters? Or can a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh Water. What is James saying is that there is a decision that we make. It is, it's actually not just on its own. It's not accidental. We speak things because we have decided to do so. The decision will affect the direction, and that will determine if destruction is the result. There's a decision that must be made. It's the old saying. What's the old saying say? The, what's in the well comes up in the bucket, right? What's in the well comes up in the bucket. Jesus said, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth, and that defiles a person. And so we've got to make decisions to make sure that we guard our hearts so that what's in our heart won't defile us, and we guard our hearts as we set our minds on things above so that when we speak, it's representative of the decision that we have made to trust and follow Jesus. 
James says people curse and bless out of the same mouth, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, that's contrary to what culture tells us, by the way. Culture says, hey, when it comes to what's right for you, you you, you can curse one person and bless another, and that doesn't matter. you got to be true to yourself. We said that last week. To thine own self be true. That's not what Scripture teaches us. It says we should not, in fact, bless and curse with the same mouth. And he says, why? Is it not just because that's not what God wants, but the people that we curse are people made in his image. There's a decision that has to be made every time we open our mouth. Will we proclaim the good news of Jesus or postpone that opportunity? It's a decision. Will I speak the encouraging words or will I not? Will I, will I speak the destructive words or will I not? There's a decision that goes into every word that we speak. And many times how we decide to speak will be reflective of what we're allowing to happen in our minds and our hearts. Beloved, it's not easy, but it's possible. And let us not be willing to be a people who can come together and say the right things in church, but then go and treat, treat each other differently at home and treat each other differently at work and, and just miss the opportunity to make much of Jesus in the way that we speak to each other. Let's make decisions to let the direction of our lives be clear. How, 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 do, you, how do you do that? Let, let me tell you, I'll tell you how you do that. You, you make a decision to spend time with Jesus. You spend time with someone, you start to reflect that person. You make a decision. We talk about it every week. Make a decision to prioritize prayer in your life. You make a decision to, to get into God's word. You make a decision to belong to Christian community. Listen to me. If most of your time, if you, if you work with people that aren't walking with the Lord and you, you socialize with people that, that aren't walking with the Lord and you give God 90 minutes on Sunday and wonder why you talk more like the world than the church, join community. Start balancing the time. Let me give you three next steps. We're out of here. How do we take this? Right, This is not the most feel-good sermon. I get it. How do we take this and begin to try to make it very practical and something that we can walk away with? Let me, let me give you three things. Here's the first one. Speak slow. Now, I, I don't mean rate of speed, right? Not. Nah. Our Spanish trans. Let's give it up for our Spanish translators in the back, by the way. Amazing. It is, it is an often conversation. Pastor, if you could slow down. I was like, well, if you can tell that timer back there to slow down, then I'm all for it. But as it stands, i got to talk fast. I don't mean the rate at which we speak. I mean the rate at which we speak without thinking. The Bible tells us that we should be slow to speak. Now, let me just confess, I'm not good at that. I know you're shocked. I'm not good at it. You know, the reality that there are two types of people in this world, I'm convinced. There are people that when they, when they find themselves in a difficult situation, they find themselves in conflict, they find themselves in a hard conversation, uh, there, are, there are some people, and, and what they want to do is they want to talk about it right away. Like something happens, they, they hurt someone, or they were hurt by someone, or, or some situation, and they want to talk about it right then, right now, and if they can talk about it and get it out of their mouth, they're good. Like, they're fine. They've moved past it. There are, there's another type of person. And when something difficult happens, if they don't ever speak about it, they're good. Like, seriously. If they don't speak about the difficult 
the, the conflict, the hurt, whatever, if they don't speak about it, they're going to move past it, and then no problem. This happened. There are two types of, sometimes, check it out, sometimes those two types of people end up married. They might have names like Chris and Christy. And let me just set the record straight. The talking about it often and quickly is right. No, listen. You're like, I don't get My wife and I are those two types of people. And early on in marriage, you know what I thought to myself? We'd have, you know, a discussion. That's, you know, nice talk for a fight. We'd have a disagreement. And, and, I, and I would be like, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what happened. Why, why did I say this? Why did you? Let's talk about it. And then I'm good. I'm like, seriously, I'm, let it go. But my wife, if we didn't talk about it, she's good. I mean, maybe later, she, but, but a lot, she, she just moved past it. And so I, w- I found myself early on in marriage frustrated and thinking to myself, I know we've talked about it, all right. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, if she would just understand if I can talk about it, I'll be good. If she would just change... And it, I'm a slow learner, and so after a few years, what the Lord began to reveal to me is when I became one flesh, I died to myself. Now, would it be nice if occasionally we talked about things right away? Sure it would. And we do, by the way. But my job is not to get her to change who she is. I'm working on me. And if what I know she needs for peace is not to do what I want to do, that's what I'm called to do. So I've got to let the night bring counsel, and I don't do that well. i got to sit on things and not jump to speak every opportunity I get. Sometimes, listen, it's going to be okay if you don't talk about it right away. It's going to be okay if you don't post it right away or tweet about it right away. If, if you can't give it one night to think on it, very few things are that urgent. And we just need to slow down. And let me just, for those of you that are like me, let me just warn you. If you force the person who doesn't want to talk about it to talk about it, even though 10 minutes later you might be good, you might be talking about that for for the next two weeks. So just be careful. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Speak slow. Speak slow. Second one, speak life. Speak life. You know what I found? Listen, you're going to be like, you should not be a pastor. And you might be right. I, I can speak death like this. I mean, just no, like minimal effort. Not a lot of preparation. You know, like I, I got to prepare for sermons and study. And I mean, I, like I can just start spewing venom easy. Like, I mean, it, it's really a gift. I mean, I'm good at it. But to, but to slow down and to encourage and not correct every time, to encourage and, and to speak words that, that give life, it, it is indeed more challenging for me. But listen to me, listen to me. But the reality is that the, the words of life, that's who I actually am. The problem is, you know, the Bible says if anyone's in Christ, 
he or she is a new creation. The old has gone away. Paul would say in the book of Romans that I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. Translation, I don't always say what I want to say, but even when I say the words that are destructive, that's not who I am. And so I've got to remind myself that even though I have this ability to tear down and to cut down and to, and to, and to be harsh, even though I have that ability, that's not who I am. If I'm not careful, I'll let the enemy tell me that's just who I am, and I'll accept the fact, and then every time I talk, I'll say something inappropriate, I'll tear people down, I'll slander, and I'll say, well, that's just who I am. But it's not. Speaking life is who I am because the power of the Spirit has filled my heart. And we got to speak life to each other. Encourage and edify. Listen, don't hold those life-giving words in. You don't know what the recipient of those words needs that day or that moment. So we choose to speak life. And the third point for the next step is let's speak truth. We gotta speak the truth. And let me just let me say a couple things. You know, we live in a time where culture is trying to redefine truth or even say there is no absolute truth. And there is truth. And, and we can't we can't back away or shy away from truth in scripture. But notice that the, the, the scripture, when we are called to speak truth, it's in a very specific way. In love. And let me, this is Chris's commentary. You can write it down and then scratch it out and put a frowny face next to it because I don't know what I'm talking about. But I would argue that if you cannot speak the truth in love, don't speak the truth. Let someone else do it. You're not ready for it yet. Just let someone, God, God will raise someone up to speak the truth in love. And so we, we, we got to be careful as a church not to adopt the mindset of the world that says, well, I've just got to speak the truth. And if it's not loving, that's, you know, that's, sometimes the truth hurts. That's, that's a reality. The truth does hurt. The gospel is offensive. The gospel says to the sinful human person, you aren't good enough. You can't fix yourself. You need help. Pride doesn't want to hear that. But because the gospel is offensive and truth can hurt, that's all the more reason we need to present it in love. No one spoke truth better than Jesus. And he never did it without love. And so we say, well, this person, they, they didn't speak lovingly to me. This person doesn't think like I do politically. This person doesn't think like I do when it comes to church. This person doesn't think like I do when it comes to finances. This person doesn't think like I do when it comes to whatever it might be. And so we retaliate with our words instead of speaking the truth, but doing so in such a way that life is promoted. Doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth. Nowhere in scripture, listen to me, the answer is not ceasing to speak the truth. But it must be done in love. Beloved, hear me, there are at times, there are more important things than being right. And let me just say this. If the way in which we prove we're right is wrong, guess what? We're wrong. If the methods to prove our rightness are wrong, what do I mean by wrong? Void of Christ. Every time we speak, every time our fingers touch the keyboard, the thought in our head should be, does this represent Jesus? And I know this sounds cliche, but you know why it matters? You know why, it, I mean, listen, it matters in the home, the way that we speak to each other as, as husbands and wives or kids and siblings and at school and at work and at church, it it matters, but you, you, let me just tell you, you know why it really matters? And it's just a burden of my heart that I can't shake. The single greatest problem in this world 
is lostness. People not knowing Jesus is the greatest problem. Every problem exists because people don't know Jesus. And so there are really big problems in the world that we need to work on, like poverty, racism, sexism, inequalities. All, we need to address those problems. But the problems exist because people don't know Jesus. The greatest problem is people not knowing Jesus because if you leave this life not knowing him, problems continue. But if you say yes to Jesus, you leave this life and problems are forced to cease. And so the reason why it's so critical that we practice speaking a little slower and be intentional to speak life and make sure that when we speak truth that we don't back away from it, but we do so in love. The reason why it's so critical is not just the examples that get set, is not just the human relationships that could be built up and broke down, but because as we speak, if you have Jesus in your heart, you're an ambassador of reconciliation. And when your mouth doesn't speak reconciling words, you're, you're, you're a false advertiser of Jesus. And people saying yes to the gospel is necessary and critical, and it changes the trajectory of eternities and family trees. And so the question's real simple. What are we going to do with our words today? What will we do with our words this week? Some of us, we just need to slow down. Some of us, we need to decide today, go home and write down the names of five people you're, you're going to speak life to. You're like, that sounds real like technical and it doesn't sound real free-spirited, that's fine. Don't write names down and continue to not speak life, whatever works for you. Like sometimes, sometimes like we got to be disciplined in the disciplines of the faith, right? Just decide today, say, hey, I'm going to, to my wife, to my kids, to my boss, to my employees, to my neighbor, to my teacher, to my coach, whoever, I'm going to speak life. I'm going to say life-giving words. Just make a decision. Make a decision when life-giving words aren't spoken to either correct the situation with your words or remove yourself from it. Let me, let me, let me I'm going to be done. You, you know a great way, a great way to increase our ability in speaking life and truth is to stop letting our ears become trash cans. What does a trash can do? Collects trash, right? Not a trick question. Trash can collects trash. When we find ourselves surrounded by people who only speak filth, when we find ourselves listening to music that's only speaking filth, when we find ourselves taking in entertainment that only is filth, when we find ourselves engaging online and taking in content that is only in filth, we shouldn't be surprised when our ears become trash cans that collect the filth of this world and when our mouths just regurgitate it. We want to, we want to increase speaking life and truth. Don't let your ears be trash cans. Remove yourself from some friend groups. Remove yourself from some situations. But then ultimately, maybe for some of us here, if you're in the room, in just a moment, we're going to have altar ministers available to pray with you. You can come forward and say, hey, I just want to be, be better with my words. Husbands and wives, you can come forward and kneel at this altar and say, hey, we want to be a better example for our kids. Amazing, amazing. At, a, at the 9 o'clock service here in McAllen, <laughs> listen, a child grabbed his parents by the hands, brought them forward to a prayer minister, and when they came forward, the kids said, we need prayer because mom and dad don't talk nice to each other. So you, you, if you're watching online, you can, you can message us and say, hey, I just need some prayer. Tell us what it is you need prayer about. 
We've got some baptisms to service. Hear me. You're like, oh, how's he going to spend this one? Listen to me. You know what baptism is? It's speaking truth. I have decided to follow Jesus. And so maybe you want to take that next step as well and join those that are being baptized. But hear me today, beloved, whether you're in the room or online, the greatest thing you do with your mouth, the most powerful words that you will ever speak will be to accept Jesus as your Savior or to reject him. Once you accept him, then you apply his word to your life and you walk in faithfulness. But until you say yes to Jesus and you have a living relationship, then it doesn't really matter. And so maybe someone today in this room or online, the truth is you have not yet with your words said yes to Jesus. You have not responded in faith. The Bible is clear. It is not by works. It is by grace through faith that you are saved and not by works. Romans 10, 9, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. And so listen, I'm not asking if you can answer questions about the Bible. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you went to classes. I'm asking, do you know that you know Jesus? Because today, right now, you can believe in your heart and with your mouth, you can confess him as savior. And so if that's you, if today the decision that needs to be made is to acknowledge your need for a savior and to place your faith in him, then right where you are, I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. If you don't know where you stand with Jesus and today you want to make that decision, I invite you just to say this prayer with me. As we say each week, the prayer is not a magic formula, please understand. Let me say this also, it's, it's not a prayer that you got to say every week. The Bible speaks to the certainty we have in Jesus when we trust him. And so hear me today that this is a prayer we pray to trust Christ and that's a gift that we walk in for life. But today, if you don't know if you've done that, then just... Where you are, say this prayer. It's, it's a belief of the heart that gets confessed with the mouth. That's what it is. And so join me in this prayer if you want to trust Jesus as Savior. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm far from you. I know I'm hopeless without you. But I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to come to earth. And I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and I believe he paid for sin. And I believe three days later, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and death. And so Jesus, today I trust you with my life. And I ask you to be my savior. Would you help me live for you every day of my life? Thank you for loving me first. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.